0: I'll be reading out of Philippians chapter 1 verses 27 through 30. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. All right, you guys can be seated. So if you were to roll back the clock to, uh, oh man, I don't even know what year it was, probably 1990 something. I was in eighth grade and I had been for years and years. I grew up in the day of the Chicago Bulls, 3 all that good stuff. Um, Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, uh, Dennis Rodman, um, all those good deals. And uh, I remember like everybody around me wanted to be that guy. The guy who was the clutch person who would make the basket at the buzzer, all of that, I just wasn't. <laughs> I had to work hard, I had to to kind of hustle more than everybody else to find my place in the team. And uh, that didn't stop me from practicing hour after hour. Um, I remember one game in particular, I was, um, I played and I, I was re- I was good until everybody grew outgrew me. Like I grew fast and then about the eighth grade, like everybody kept growing and so I was like great at like being a center which you're a tall person you don't need to dribble a ton Uh, you don't need to shoot from very far away you just kind of like try and hit the glass Um, but then i was too short to continue to do that so anyways i kind of timed out on on my career Um, that being said eighth grade year rolls around and we're traveled we traveled away to uh, another city and we were having playing this game and i was in at the conclusion of the first half and i remember that uh, at some point the ball came to me and there was like three seconds left on the clock. And I was like, this is it. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's like uh, watching me. And I, and I was like, okay, I'm I'm, I'm, gonna take, I'm gonna take the shot. And I was not half court, but it felt like it. You know what I'm saying? And, and I was just like, all of my skinny little bony eighth grade person could to just huck the ball as hard as I could at the, the basket. And I remember like, feeling pretty good about it, and then I remember hearing my teammates going, no, <laughs> like legit, I'm not making that up, like no, don't, and, uh, and I was like, oh crap, this better go in. Um, and, and by God's grace, it, it went in. I think it was the only three pointer I ever scored in a real life game. Um, but I remember that moment was both amazing, but terrifying. I was like, I don't think I wanna do that anymore. And so the pressure of being a part of a team and being having the, the spotlight on me, it kind of just like made me pull back from team sports because it felt like, yes, I'm a part of a team, but everybody's depending upon me do you know what I mean I would rather do individual sports like track and field which I excelled at all those good things what is it like for us to be in the world today and face opposition alone or with a team how do you like the pressure of big moments do you thrive in these moments or do you pull back from these moments What are the things that make you confident to continue to stand in the face of pressure or opposition? What helps you? What hurts you? What makes it difficult for you to keep your footing? What helps you to step heavy and say, I'm not going to move. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to quit. What causes the beautiful, godly defiance against the opposition of darkness in us. I think this is what Paul is getting at when he writes to the church in Philippi where he's trying to encourage these folks who are in a city that is heavily enculturated by a military background. So even Philippi was named after uh, Philip, I believe the fifth who was part of overtaking this city, and he was crowned as as the guy who had this beautiful, powerful victory in battle. And so even lots of the history of the city was battle-oriented, and even like a lot of the people who lived in Philippi, their grandfather, father, or themselves had actually been gifted property in the city as part of their retirement plan as living honorably in warfare. And so this battle imagery through Philippi, it may not translate to a little Van Tucky right here, but for many of the people that Paul was talking to, like this was the actual like texture of their upbringing. They, they, they understood what it was to be valiant within battle, to stand fast, to, to seek honor in conflict and to avoid the shame of running away, collapsing, or caving in. And so Paul picks up on some of these things. If he was writing to us, he would probably use some different language, or he would use different illustrations. But for the sake of understanding Scripture for how it comes to us, we're going to try and put on our understanding as far as hearing the Word as a people familiar with the battle imagery. Does that sound good? All right. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into verse 27 this morning. Jesus, we just want to say uh, thank you. Thank you that you love us, and thank you that your Spirit is here to help us understand. And so, Jesus, I pray that through the opening of your Word, your Spirit would inhabit the Word, and that your Spirit would actually apply the Word and that your spirit would actually bring the word to life within our souls, that we may bring a harvest, Lord, that you anticipated in giving us this scripture. God, I pray against distraction. I pray against hard-heartedness or the unwillingness or the struggle to hear and receive and to care. Give us soft hearts. Give us hungry souls. To hear from you, and would we be flat-faced at the glory of Jesus in this space. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear from you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Notice that Paul says, hey, he's coming out of his, his, his argument from what we looked at last week, where he was like, hey, whether I live or I die, doesn't matter. I'm going to honor Christ in my body so, so you can watch me. I'm going to show you what it's like if Jesus was imprisoned. I'm going to show you what it's like if Jesus was to die my death or to interact with those in my life. He moves on and says, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be set free or not. I think I probably will be, but listen, the one thing, the only thing, the one thing that matters, and as scholars have looked at this text, this is actually the the thesis of this whole book of the Bible, is that we, Paul, is calling not only Philippi, but the church today to, to live lives worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So this language of worthiness causes us to, to both trigger some shame in our mind, but also this, this opens the door for us to know that there is actually a, 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 there is a significance to my actions. That Jesus being king and cultivating a new colony of eternity here on earth, there is a new ethic of the community. Therefore, our future dwelling and our actual citizenship now, which is eternity, actually should impact the way I interact on Tuesday. So Paul says this, only stand firm. Stand firm. He goes on and says through the words that he offers us, only let your manner of life, the word manner, is is like this. It's where the word political or the policy or the way we live our life. Let the way you live as citizens in the world or your social interactions, let them be worthy. And when I hear worthy, I'm like, okay, is is it gonna be enough? Is it gonna is it gonna be good enough? Or do I need to work harder for it to, to meet expectation? But what Paul is trying to say here is it's, it's intended to be in alignment with. This word worthy is more so like deserving or fitting. Let your life be fitting for the gospel of Jesus. Not merely what he accomplished, but, but the reality of how he lived in the world. I love the fact, and I said this last week, that we have four different accounts of Jesus that outline his interactions with different people in strange circumstances, many like we find ourselves in today, although slightly different. People have iPhones now. But there's the same social dynamics, same consequences of actions, same tension, same, same friction. Jesus models for us how to interact. And, and Paul is trying to say, hey, we have within Jesus a pattern of how to walk out our circumstances. And, and we have a singular question that we have as a filter. Paul gives us a gift. We love simplicity at Spiro City. I mean, we love the fact that we don't have to keep track of hundreds of laws like the Old Testament. We love that Jesus boils it down and says, love God, love others, period. And we're like, thank you. Paul goes, I want to give you a lens to run your life through, for you to be able to understand and to comprehend what is good and uh, worthy, what is excellent, what is fitting of your life. And the question is this, Is this action worthy of Jesus? Is this action, this thought, this word, this way, is it actually fitting with the way of Jesus? Can I view Jesus doing this very thing? And this is a challenging word. This is a challenging word to us as individuals as we're uh, taking our time working, going through traffic, all the challenges, for us to continue to lay this filter over our life. When we find ourselves acting and we're expressing for us to go, hold on, I actually am fundamentally a citizen, not of Vancouver, but of heaven. And my citizenship there is intended to actually influence and supersede how I live here. And so even if I'm interacting in a socially acceptable way, the filter still remains because we're not actually ultimately accountable to be socially acceptable in this world. We're actually called to be uh, socially acceptable in the kingdom of God. To, to uh, To be on plane, to be of the way of Jesus, of eternity today, we're allowed and invited to 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 stand firm. So Paul goes into this. He goes into this language where he's like, uh, one thing, live your lives in accordance with Jesus. Let the filter of His life lay over our lives. That's the one thing. If that's the one thing you do well in life, if that's the one question you ask of, of every moment, Jesus What would you do here? How would you think of this? What is best in your mind? What is the eternally valuable thing in this circumstance? What are your economics that should govern the way I spend my time, energy, resources, and kindness? So we're allowing the culture of heaven to become the culture of our here and now and at times, it's going to bring conflict because my own nature is still rough around the edges. I've been gifted the nature of Christ, I've been brought to life, but I'm kind of still like taking off some of the grave clothes of my life before Jesus. And so there are things in my life that I need to go like, oh man, I have come to Christ. I believe in his his reality of his death, resurrection, and payment for my sin. He has brought me to life, put me in his family. Therefore, is the way that I speak, does that fit with this new life of Jesus? Or do I need to offer my words to go, wow, I think I need to start changing how I speak. Does the way I perceive this this demographic, this people group, this history, this person that's hurt me, does that coincide with the way of Jesus? Or do I need to somehow uh, say, God, that is part of this dead old person and it's hard and difficult. I need Your Spirit to help me to live in alignment with, with You and Your wholeness. And so this is a process as individuals But know this, it will become even harder if you're doing it alone. Becoming formed into the image of Jesus is not an individual task, it is a community task. And for us to even dream about standing fast in a world where we're gonna have opposition and resistance, where your conviction of Jesus is gonna start costing you at your job. It's gonna actually make, it, make you limited in your ability to, to take work that you would, want to, what you would have taken at one point. You're gonna have convictions that, that come, and, uh, come and start contrast with the, the current of culture, where you're gonna to have to start uh, suppressing or, or putting to death your, your old ways so that you may put on the new ways of Jesus as you align and become who you will be in, in eternity. This is nearly impossible on our own. We need the Spirit of God to do inside of us what we cannot do from outside of us. You can change your practices, you can change your things, you can try and force yourself, Uh, you can put a quarter in the swear jar every time your mouth is unworthy of of the gospel of Jesus. You can can have these little systems, you can put bumpers up for your life, but you know what, Jesus is actually calling us away from uh, rule-keeping towards something actually more beautiful, what you were designed for, image-bearing. Joshua Butler talks about this and this idea of departing from having a focus of, okay, I got to keep the rules. What's right? What's wrong? What's the best? Oh, okay. Don't do this. Here's my list. Okay, I didn't do that. Are we good, God? Is this what I'm supposed to be? Your life is not intended to be sin-obsessed, where you're focusing on, I don't want to do, I don't want to do, I don't want to do. The Spirit of God through Jesus Christ actually brings us to focus, to put away the ways of the old, and Paul will go into this, of, of setting apart the past and looking to the future. The Spirit of God actually alivens our heart so that the law is actually written on our heart where we begin to live out of relationship and we find ourselves doing the right But not because we're trying to avoid sin, but it's because we're trying instead to image Jesus. You see, if you're trying to image Jesus, you will not uh, obey the the fleshly desires of the brokenness that you've been rescued from. If you make your sole purpose of going like, I want to be an image bearer for you, God. I want to represent your presence on earth. Then you're allowed a freedom that walks away from the law. And you're able to walk in the Spirit that is life and hope and goodness. You see, this is the anticipation that Paul is speaking into this moment of of yes, we have to, to be aware of where our mind and body and old person want to go. But more and more, we are to focus on imaging Jesus. If you were to look back at your created purpose, uh, we're told in Genesis that God created man and woman in his own image. God wanted the image of, of his person on this earth. And so he created humanity to fill the earth that his image may be all over the earth. Now this is what kings did in antiquity. They would set up images like Nebuchadnezzar with the golden image to be this marker of their power and presence in an area. Now our image, because we have fallen in sin, is marred. It's not departed. Every person carries the image of God. Therefore, each individual in this space and beyond, any person who has a soul and a pulse is worthy of the good graces of God. And they are the anticipated Uh, they are the um, anticipated targets of God's grace. Therefore, we have as a people the ability to re-image Jesus because he has separated us from our sin. Because he has washed us clean. He has renewed us after the likeness of Christ. And so as we become like Jesus, the image of God on earth shines brighter on this earth. This is going to get a little more complex. We good? We good so far? We need the Holy Spirit. Number one, Paul says this. Oh, man, the fans, they're wonderful, but they keep turning my pages. All right. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel uh, so that whether I come to you, I hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. This standing firm in one spirit, one mind, we are sharers or partakers in the spirit of God who brings us into the family of God. He binds us together and he calls us to to function less like a hundred different individuals, sorry, 42 individuals. I didn't really count. A hundred, whatever, individuals in a group, in a room. He's actually confronting this toxic individualism that the Western world so loves. He's like, no, you you are fundamentally one, like the fabric of your core identity. Your homeland is eternity. The Spirit is what binds you. It is what guarantees your future arrival. It is is the, the lifeblood and the oxygen of followers of Jesus. We are united by the Spirit. Therefore, in this room, we have tons of people We have people who believe different things about different stuff. Who cares? We are united in the life of God at work within us. And the life of God at work within us is the spirit of God who's actually uh, uh, bringing our life, rearranging our souls. He's actually referred to as like a housemaker or a homemaker, somebody who, who goes in and like decorates and makes the space fitting The Spirit of God is like cultivating a space that is fitting for the King to dwell within our souls. And He animates us to become strong in the face of opposition. So we must be unified in the Spirit. He goes on to say, not only in the Spirit of of the person, but of one mind. Which means, okay, we are going to be agreed upon what is most essential. We're gonna have lots of differences, but we're gonna agree upon what is most essential in this moment, what is worthy of us fighting for, and what is worthy of us releasing and entrusting to the Lord. So in a moment of fracture and division, God, in the words of Scott McKnight, is calling us to be a united front, one. Not only that, we're united, but we're not stagnant. We're not supposed to come together and be like, all right, it's us against the world. You good? You good? We're actually called to action. So our life is not merely just one of receiving goodness from God. It's actually we've been brought to life and are being renewed after the image of Jesus together, but we're actually called into this active athletic language that he uses, striving. It's the same language they would have used of like the Olympian ga- Olympic games in, in this day and age. It has the, the essence of like training and becoming strong together for the purpose of, as Paul says, the gospel, the faith. And so for us to stand fast we need to try and internalize what it looks like for us to not just stand fast alone. And it's really hard if you're, if you're trying to uh, cross a river and the, the, uh, the current is strong for you to do that without holding on to anything else. But if you were to, to walk across a river w- with another or a few others and hold on to each other, you're able to, to move through that which is uh, on your own, you would be washed away by. And it's the same thing. For us as individuals, like, we need to be uh, protected by, enclosed by. We need someone else to have our back. And you're like, no, 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 it's just me and God. Well, you know what? That's beautiful and necessary sometimes. I mean, but really, you know how God has your back? He's got your back by the people of God. Like, you, you're the presence of God to me because he lives in you. And I need you to have my Six. Did I say that right? Yes! And you need need me to have your back. You see, there's shared contending within community that is supposed to be normalized. Where, Where we don't get together to just chill, have a good time, and to speak in the echo chamber where we get to all agree on the same things, all critique the same things. No, we are We are called to create these communities of contending where we are willing to work through challenges within, but we're also willing to fight alongside of for the sake of something greater together. So we fight for each other, and we fight with, that is, alongside each other. Some of you in this room, you need others to be fighting for you. You need somebody who is dedicated to speaking your name into the presence of God every week, every day. You need somebody to sit with you and to hear the lies that Satan is is, is sending your way. And you need somebody to go, whoa, 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 I'm going to fight for you right now. I love you and I'm sure that that feels very painful and I'm not minimizing that. Your feelings, but what is true is this. What is true is this. Speak the truth in love is a war cry against the darkness because we are not in a battle against people nor flesh. Paul goes on to say this not only that we are darn fan. Of one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. Notice this. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. That's what Ephesians says. Uh, I think it's Ephesians 3. Do we have that verse? technical difficulties. Let me read it to you. Good thing I got the Bible up here. All right. We doing good, guys? We good? Okay. All right. Ephesians... 6 12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against rulers and against the authorities against the cosmic powers over the present darkness against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places paul says as you stand fast united bound together linked up resolved to stand fast and not afraid of the opposition that's actually going to freak out your opponents That's going to do something to their internal being. And and know this, know this. Your faithfulness, our faithfulness, us being one unified body focused on the essentials, agreeing upon what is most significant, which is imaging Jesus to a world that does not have a clear picture of who he is. When we agree upon that and there's opposition coming our way and we're like, Okay, I expected that. I expected my boss, who is an atheist, or I expected this person who's really antagonistic to the faith to to not be helpful. It it really kind of limits their ability and and it really can can cause this, this unsettledness. So hear this, the settled nature of the church in the face of opposition so when we face trials that should freak us out when we go into those trials and we so link arms, at, we need to be a little afraid. When we're looking next, we're like, are we okay? Are we okay? And we're like, yeah, it's going to be okay. Our God is real. He lives. What he says is true. His ways will prevail. We're looking at each other and we're going, okay, I'm standing fast. And the world goes, whoa. Our best effort to shake your world, it's, it's doing nothing. There's a disturbance that's going to take place. Sometimes your faithfulness, our faithfulness within a community are actually going to make certain people flare their nostrils and become overly aggressive to a degree that is way bigger than we could understand or or think through. Why? Because there is a spiritual dynamic to the world that we live in. There's a spiritual dynamic that has been going on throughout all of time uh, from from before the foundations of the world between God and and darkness. When God created humanity to to bless and to bring into this beautiful relationship, uh, Satan decided to to challenge his his place and, and leadership of God. And from that day forward, Satan has been trying to denigrate the image of Jesus. He's been trying to to further defile humanity and lead us into more destruction, more darkness, and to make the very image of God do what is shameful and unworthy of God. We do not wage war or wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and powers and principalities. Therefore, Ephesians six thirteen, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand. Have you ever considered that this may be the evil day? Have you ever considered that this is the day that Paul is talking about, that you have to stand firm today because the evil day is upon us where darkness is trying to stamp out the faithful followers of Jesus? That he is trying to quench the Spirit in the Northwest. That he's trying to dissipate all different individuals. Have we considered that today our most primary goal is to stand firm. The Apostle Paul says as much. He says one thing is important. Let your manner of life, the way you live, bring honor to Jesus. Let it be fitting for who He is. Let your ways be in alignment. Because when we live in alignment with with God and and Christ, and when we come together and we live in unity, there is something disturbing to, yes, our, our human opposition, but there's a greater disturbance within the powers of darkness. In the near future, we're going to be going through Ephesians and uh, I can't wait for this because Paul in Ephesians talks about how um, God is actually, in cultivating a church that is unified, steadfast, and unwilling to quit, we're told that the dark powers are actually watching and they are amazed at the glory and wisdom of God in how he is able to take such dynamic, weird, strange, awkward uh, people who wouldn't necessarily get along and bring us together in this beautiful harmony, and that makes hell tremble. Our unity makes hell tremble. Our resistance to falling away or backing down or giving up makes hell shake. Therefore, Satan will try and disturb our peace, disturb our unity. He will try and and cause you to lose heart. He will will try and and get you to to kind of go off on your own away from the pack where you're easily taken down. We have to realize there is a darkness in the world, a, a very real enemy of our soul. And our unity not only is disturbing to humans, but it is disturbing in the great battle of 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 eternity. So there's a little bit of weight to our moment. There's a little bit of uh, significance to us. If we were to um, look at history as a timeline. And we look at God's history of redemption where He created, then humanity fell, and then He picked Israel, they failed. Jesus comes, reintroduces the image, shows us true humanity, dies sacrificially, but rises again. The first fruit of the new humanity And he says, trust in me and I'll raise you again to life. And then the church starts. And somewhere here is our chapter. At some point, Jesus is gonna return and set up eternity. We don't know when. We're not not called to care. We're called to wait and look and anticipate and live in light of that day. But Paul says one thing matters, brother, sister. During your window in Christian history, our one goal is to live worthy of Jesus not just individually, collectively. Something changed in the world of warfare sometime between the 7th and 8th century BC. Up until this point, warfare was either done through mass mobs, just like you were just hacking and, and I'm sorry, I'm not gonna go into it. You can, you can Google it later. Or, or watch 300, um, or there was duels, one-on-one, okay? In both circumstances, you had to fight for yourself if you were gonna survive. It came down to hand-to-hand combat. But like I said, something changed in the uh, 7th or 8th century, not quite sure when, but there was a formation that was created called the phalanx? phalanx? Oh phalanx. well. Phalanx. Thank you. I knew there was somebody in here who like knew stuff about that. Um, so the word phalanx, interestingly enough, so this is like a, a rectangular formation where everybody would line up with their shield next to each other. At some places they would actually connect the shields. So your shield was bound to yours and yours. You're gonna stand here. You got my right side cool. You got my left side cool. You hold your shield and you lock it together to create a unified front. And you you have a spear or a sword. And so you're able to march forward and make progress. But not only that, but the guy behind you would throw his spear over your shoulder as well and the guy behind him would throw his spear over top the shoulders of the guys in front of him, and then you would march forward. And so you'd actually have this collective strength that in its day, it transformed warfare. Like it was the rolling, it was a tank in its day. And this was actually popularized by uh, the Macedonians where Philippi is actually Primarily aimed. And so this uh, military formation was well known. And so when Paul actually references this one thing, live worthy of the Gospel, whether I come to you or not, I want to hear that you are standing fast. The Word is actually referencing the phalanx. Phalanx? Ozzie, did I get that right? Phalanx. Phalanx, thank you. Can you just stand up here and say it every time we need to say it? Uh, It's referencing that. And so Paul is like, he's not saying, hey, live worthy of the gospel, Bethany. Live worthy of the gospel, John. He's saying that, but more. Hey, Sparrow City, let the way that you live in the world and among yourselves be worthy of the gospel. Let the way that we interact with each other, the way that we show up to love the community and care for each other, let that be worthy. If Jesus was here in our place, doing that with one mind, undivided, one soul. And so Paul is inviting us into this idea of of not merely us imaging Jesus alone, but the body of Christ. Together we are called the body of Christ and we're intended to look like Jesus as we're together, functioning together, united in mind. Do you see the process that Jesus is actually doing to unearth his image, not merely in you, but in us? Therefore, the the spirit-empowered unity, the contending within community, the the willingness to step into hard circumstances regardless of the cost is, is part of being the embodiment of Jesus on earth. The embodiment of Jesus on earth is intended to be part of our calling. Paul goes on to say this, Verse 28, standing standing in the gospel and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. One quick nuance. There's a difference between opponents and the lost. Unbelievers are not the opponents there are people all around us who who they are hungering and thirsting and searching for Jesus but we have true opponents ultimately evil forces empowered by satan and we have opponents on earth who have an unmitigated rage against the ways of god and want to crush the hope of god there's a difference and so we have to be careful to make sure and we interact with, with the lost in a different way than opponents. That's just a, it's an important nuance. Um, but Paul goes on to say, all right, it's a sign to them both of their destruction and of your salvation. Verse 29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now here, that I still have. I think some of you guys are familiar with the uh, arena. You have a picture of the arena? Yeah, I got pictures this week. Come on. If you squint really hard, it's one of those magic guys. Just gonna pop out. Uh, So in antiquity, there would have been spaces where yes, athletic events would take place, but also gladiator um, contests where you would be in the middle of fire. And uh, the language that Paul uses around conflict, he said, I see that you now have the same conflict that I had and yet still have. That word conflict is arena language. It's like him, him, him looking up, tipping his glasses and going, oh, I see you're in the arena too. Philippi. People who have regular jobs, you have your own concerns, challenges, circumstances. I see you're in the arena too." Do you live like you're in the arena? That God is with you and urging and cheering you on to succeed, to stand fast, to not back down, to not give up, to not flee away. You see, these are all the language that Paul is using behind the scenes here. It's like, hey, church, you are in the middle of the arena. This is your moment. You are not something that is indifferent to the story of God. I think often we read the Old Testament, man, Moses was so awesome. Noah was so great. They had these moments where where they were part of God's huge plan. And then we look at our life and we're like, yeah, I got to go to the gas station after church, and then I got to pick up the kids, and then tomorrow we got piano lessons, and oh yeah, and Jesus he saved me, but we're waiting for him to come back now. Do we realize that Jesus has actually brought you to life so that your person and our body will in it will image the very image of God on earth? under trial continually. Jesus says that he has departed into heaven, but he has not abandoned us as alone. He gives us the spirit that empowers us to remain united, to remain at, 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 at the willing to go side by side, linked up, and pressing forward to see the glory of Jesus manifested on earth. Paul says it has been gifted to you. That's not a misprint not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. How is that a gift? We, we can admire Michael Jordan's, Scotty Pippin's, and for you weirdos, Dennis Rodman. We can admire Moses and Abraham. We can admire Joseph's. We can admire Paul's. We can admire Peter's sometimes. But listen, Jesus says, I have invited you. Paul says, I've gifted you this moment to live on this world. I've gifted you this moment into the arena when you're not alone. Just like battle has shifted from being one individual, Moses, Joseph, whatever, to team, to community, to the people of God together. I'm calling the church to this moment. You're in the arena. Stand fast. Don't run away. The word for be afraid of anything is the word for flee, freak out. It's going, oh, no, nope, I'm done. Boop. Do you realize that you showing up and not giving up your faith is actually a battle cry against the powers of darkness? You loving your neighbor, forgiving each other, uh, sacrificing for each other, uh, having each other's back is actually an image that Jesus is like, that's the main show on earth right now is the bride's resilience, their unwillingness to back down, backstab, and give up. The image of God alive on earth is the bride of Christ. And I want us to show Jesus. I want the face of Jesus to shine so powerfully within who we are, not just us, but everywhere, that that Jesus' face would be seen, that it would so challenge the straw-men face of Christ that the world peddles and has rejected, that the image of Jesus would be seen, that would cause people to wrestle I can't, it's so easy for me to reject a Jesus that actually doesn't care about injustice because I've suffered greatly and I want a God who cares. Or it's easy to, to, to reject a Jesus who doesn't care about, about sin. He doesn't care about what's right, what's wrong. He, he, I can reject a Jesus like that. Or I can reject a Jesus that's judgmental, hateful, and, and bigoted. That's easy for me to, to excuse. But it is it, it is it is something completely different. It is a powerful image both of our salvation and the fate of eternity when we stand fast and image Jesus for a world to grapple with the face of Jesus through us we are the bride of Christ the image of God together and he has called us into this community for this moment and nobody else is going to do it it is our job To have each other's back, stand fast, not flee, not back down, to continue to press in. It's hard, it's painful, I'd rather do something else, it's uncomfortable. No, keep coming, keep coming together, keep coming together, keep coming around the table of communion, remembering Christ, keep encouraging one another, saying, man, I'm struggling, I'm doubting, I don't know if I should be here, but I'm still going to show up because I want to be one who lives my moment that I I was designed for. Because there's going to be stories about this moment for all of eternity. Friends, this is kind of a big deal. Paul says one thing. One thing you need. One thing is most important. That's your lives Individually, collectively, would be worthy in alignment with imaging Jesus, his kingdom and ways. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness to us. We love you. And we just want to listen, Lord. It's one thing to be stirred. But it's another thing to be changed. It's one thing to know how to step up in this moment That's another thing to do. So right now, God, I just ask that your spirit would come here. God, I ask that you would Point out things in our life, Lord, that dishonor your name. They just don't fit. If God's bringing stuff to your mind, I encourage you. believe the gospel, that if we confess our sins, God is just and faithful to forgive us and to remove the unrighteousness from us. Spirit, we invite you to put your finger on things in our life that you want to come in and rearrange. Spirit, we need you. We can't fix ourselves. God, we ask that you would um, just open a season of, of repentance turning more towards you in any and every way. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us this opportunity to enter into your story, to live this moment in a way that honors you, Jesus. Please unite us, guard us, Fill us with your spirit, Lord. And as we worship, we invite heaven here as we offer our complete selves to you. Amen. Now, during the last few songs, we're going to take communion, which we kind of have central because it's important. It's what binds us together. The life, death, resurrection of Christ. And so I encourage you to take some time to work through anything that isn't settled between you and the Lord. And allow this, the body of Christ, the blood of Christ to be the drink, the cup, and the meal of our oneness. The fuel for our resolve. Thank you, Lord. We love you.